Welcome back to the Beat Us in Paris podcast. I am Zen again, and this is a podcast about all things travel, be it food, what to pack for your next trip, or your next exotic destination. Back with us is Emily the Wanderer. Hello! I like it. Emily the Wanderer. Let's wander <laughs> places. <laughs> That's we going on get... the business card. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and then our adventurer, Lee. Hello, hello, hello. So, one of the things we, we're going to talk about today is just, we love travel, but I think one of the coolest things that happens is that we randomly encounter such amazing things around the world that tells us about the local culture and it's reflective of the place that we're visiting but sometimes it's not culturally important enough to make it into a guidebook okay so like we all get guidebooks or lots of times you watch a travel video or something like that and the thing is that they might have a passing sentence or two or you know something about that they might mention it but they really don't go into it but there's still something that's really, really, really interesting. So we thought it'd be fun to tell you about the oddball things or the things that they should have made it into the guidebook in their opinion. Um, but they are worth that are worth looking for. Um, if you're, we're not telling you to get a plane ticket to go see these things, but if you're in the area, it's definitely something that you shouldn't miss. Um, so uh, they just miss the Condé Nast Traveler books. So that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yes. And before we begin, we need a sponsor break. Oh, yeah. I would be homeless without you, Emily. <laughs> 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 Thanks. Okay. We'll, we'll be right back after the break. They're called goals for a reason. There's something to strive for. They require attention and they need sweat and hard work to achieve. Do you have a career goal? At UCI Division of Continuing Education, we're here to help. With over 60 certificate programs available, we've helped over a quarter million students reach their goals, and we can help you reach yours too. Start today at ce.uci.edu. That's ce.uci.edu. Um, so my, my list is, okay, I'm a big actually um, automotive fan. I like cars and stuff like that. I have no idea why. I think I inherited it from my dad. And um, California, I'm going to talk about mostly about California. California is just, there are so many car things to do. And this is great if you're on vacation with your family. You can sneak out on the weekends and see a car show or two their car meets and make it back to the whole hotel room before breakfast starts. So your family doesn't even know that you're missing. <laughs> so um, I, the couple things that you want to look out for is there's something called cars and coffee. And it started in um, Irvine, California. And it's now defunct because it got too big for its own britches, but they're all over the place. There are car meets where people come out, they park their cars um, they're, they're cool cars and they sit next to each other and they talk, um, for a couple of hours, have a cup of coffee. Usually it's on the Saturday and Sunday. Um, the ones I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention the ones in Orange County and Los Angeles, a couple that I really enjoy. First of all, is Carson Coffee San Clemente. You can look at that up. 
or South OC, I think they call it sometimes. There's something called the Donut Derelicts in Huntington Beach. And that's Oh, I love that title. I love the title so much. Oh. <laughs> I thought you went. Oh, we'll have to go. So it's in a parking lot in Huntington Beach, and it is all muscle cars. And they've been around since 1985. And it's just all these guys come out. They have all these muscle cars, all these hot rods. It's really mostly american cars and um you know you go there they got t-shirts you know and you know everyone's just hanging out with their corvettes or old camaros and stuff like that and it is the best time um don't go during the winter that parking lot is well you can go during the winter but the park this is hysterical the parking lot that they have it in um they don't turn on their lights until something like Actually, they may not turn on the lights at all in the morning. So when you get there at 7 a.m. in the morning, it's like a whole parking lot of filled with all these muscle cars, and you can't see anything. Just a bunch of people wandering around in the so dark. <laughs> I mean, what I'm a not kidding. metaphor for life. <laughs> it's weird. I've gone there, and it's just like you kind of like, okay, I think I can park over here, you know, because this is where they're showing their cars. I'm in my Japanese car. I'll park it off to the side. And then you'll just wander in this parking lot. It's like, I think that's a Corvette. You know, and it's like, and I think that is a, you know, is that a guy or is that a gal? Or are they trying to mug me? You know, and then, <laughs> and then it starts getting lighter and lighter and lighter during the winter. And then by the time it kind of, the sun is completely up. Everyone's starting to leave. <laughs> <laughs> They've had enough of wandering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the Have you guys been to Bob's Big Boy in Burbank by chance? I've been to a Bob's Big Boy, but not the one in Burbank. Okay. So Bob's Big Boy is an old-fashioned hamburger shop, and they were actually the ones who created the first double-decker hamburger instead of uh, McDonald's actually copied their Big Mac after the Bob's Big Boy. And this old shop, every Friday, everyone comes in with their old hot rods, like American Graffiti. And you can hang out in the parking lot and everyone is like all these old hot rods. Just just saying. You just showed your age. It's kind of like a George Lucas film, right? No, Steven Spielberg, right? I just remember Richard Gere, but yeah. I don't know. I I've never seen so. See, I know, I'm like, Emily? <laughs> I've heard of when, it. When, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those old, it's one of those old movies where everyone had hot rods. And the last one I'm going to throw out there is something called Supercar Sunday. Um, that happens um, weekly on Sunday for motorheads all over Los Angeles. So Bob, Big Burbank is Los Angeles Supercar Sunday. People drive their Lamborghinis, all that type of stuff into a parking lot, walk around, <clears throat> drink coffee, check out people's cars. That's it. Fun. Wow. I got more afterwards, but I've talked too much. I'm going <laughs> to pass this on. Okay. I'll, I'll go next. Um, so we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but um, Lee hasn't heard me talk about this. Zen has heard me talk about this. So Lee, I'm excited for your uh for your response to see what it is um so something i went to iceland 
probably three or four years ago now. I can't remember exactly, but I was there with my mom during the winter, like literally the winter solstice. So it was literally the darkest time of the year we could be there. We were there to once again the- another metaphor for life. The oh yes. <laughs> Oh um, my god. We were there for uh what are they called? The Northern Lights. Unfortunately, we did not see them. The sky was just not cooperating, but that's not the story. This story is about how we were in Reykjavik, uh just walking around looking for some place to eat. And I saw I was walking on the sidewalk and I saw this mu- it looked like a museum. It was a an uh just like a building, but it was all glass all around and so I was like this is a really interesting building because if it was an office building or something else you wouldn't really be able to see into it but this was like pretty long like just rows of glass doors glass windows so I peeked in and I was like what are all of those things there's there was just a ton of stuff on display and I couldn't figure out what it was um and so I kept walking towards the front door, still like peeking in, peeking in. I was like, there's no one in there either. We're like, what is this place? (laughs) Kept walking, kept walking, finally got to the front door where the handles were. And I tried opening it, of course, but they were closed for that day, that time, whatever it was. And I read the sign and it said, Icelandic Phallological Museum. And me, that's not like a common vocabulary word in my brain. <laughs> I was like, what's a phallological museum? It's a pee-pee museum. What's a pee-pee museum? <laughs> oh, my God. It took me a minute to put two or two together. But then I was like standing there thinking about it for a minute. And I turned to my mom. My mom's a doctor. So I was like, what is phallological? And she goes, that's penis <laughs> <laughs> and so it's underwritten by tinder yeah uh, okay oh that is so funny <laughs> I think it's, even that it's just like uh, like it's kind of like going to that rated r movie with your mom for the first time and then they like have the sex scene and you're like oh my god i'm with my mom <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my gosh so in the guidebook it's known as like tinder's house of dick pics yeah but it's actually really fascinating um, I bet. <laughs> once you put two and two together then i look into the wind or the glass doors again and i'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, god what I'm, Once, like, I'm just stunned i'm stunned like i i want it like i i want to know what it takes for someone to donate to that society like yes. is it a lot of men like i make big donations to the phallological <laughs> society okay the thing is though it's not <laughs> it's not human centered it's mammals so it's <laughs> it's like all animals from land and sea so it's not like i don't know it's not recognizable like first thing you look at it because you don't really look at animals pee parts um, no! unless my cat's cleaning himself now yes. and like, please put the lipstick back <laughs> 
I, this is this is absolutely fascinating. It's super fascinating. I I actually wish it was open so I could have gone in because I was just like I need to know more. <laughs> like what? Um, but it's okay. So I'll read you just like the first two sentences of what it is. It's a collection of more than two hundred and fifteen penises and penile parts belonging to almost all land and sea mammals, and it's actually the world's largest display of these parts. <laughs> Because who else except the Icelandic people would collect these? I don't know. I, I, I there's so much I want to say, and this is and, and because I, yeah, I, you know, I am going to, I'm going to take this <laughs> new knowledge and share it at my next family <laughs> vacation in a few weeks. Yes, and and if possible, I'll record it because. It will not be appropriate for the podcast, but y'all will get some giggles because one, my family's hysterical, and two, they're all biologists. Oh, <laughs> too funny, too funny. I have a feeling this is going to make its way into some sort of lecture. <laughs> At least for my sister who teaches anatomy. But my other sister, my sister, yeah, anyways, oh my gosh. I'm still, yeah, this is, the fact that somebody thought that there wasn't that there wasn't enough scholarly scholarly investigation and needed to start a, a society to look at this. Plus the feminist in me is screaming too. Like there's just so much, but, but we're here to talk about travel and overlook things. And, and as I got to think, I'm like, all of wait, this. Wait, 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 this is, we haven't gone enough. I still had to ask, like, did they have a cafeteria and did they offer Rocky mountain oysters? okay i'm sorry go ahead i want a postcard (laughs) wish you were here wish i was here (laughs) oh my god that would be amazing sorry (laughs) that's so i'm looking up on ebay for you right now (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Okay, so uh, I, I don't even know how to top that. So I'm going to go to my favorite, which is there's two things I love. And that is one, I really love Southern Louisiana and the culture and the food and the people. And two, I love me a good dive bar. Uh, so while I was working in Baton Rouge at, uh, at Louisiana State University, it was always a challenge to find a bar that my students weren't at where I could just unwind and be myself. <laughs> and then I found Phil Brady. And Phil Brady's is a fantastic dive bar. I mean, it's dark. I mean, really, really dark. It had cheap drinks. I would go with $5, no more than 10 cash in my pocket, and I'd be set for the night. I would go in soccer shorts and a t-shirt and no makeup and spend the night dancing on the dance floor on Thursday nights. And why Thursday? Because Thursday night was infamous for their blues jam. And, and I mean, their blues jams were epic. Now, if you've never been to a blues jam, the, the premise at Phil Brady's was this. There's a set, you know, drums and the basics on the stage. And guys would get called, folk musicians would get called up or they'd switch themselves out after a couple of songs. So you got a drummer playing, you've got but it's not a band. So you've got maybe Tom the drummer and Susie the guitarist and maybe the Susie the bassist and Stan is on guitar and then maybe you got I don't know, George walks George. in and he's got yeah, George he knows has got all his the washboard. Chords. George he does know all the chords. <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh 
Yeah, I love that song. And then you get somebody who shows up at the washboard or their harmonica or a saxophone, and they just play a few songs, and then somebody switches out, grabs a beer, and somebody else comes up on stage. This was known in the music circles. Uh, apparently, it's worldwide because folks would come in from other countries and all around and all around the U.S. to play there on a, a Thursday night. So you never know what you, you'd get. Um, and that is something that if you like really good music and – Cheap beer, Phil Brady's is really where you should be going in, in Louisiana. Amazing. Sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was it was epic. So that that's one of my 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 quickies. So cool. Ah, uh, then you're up. <laughs> I'm back up, man. I did so many cars. Okay. I'm going to go back to, oh, geez. I am going to go with, uh, should I go back to cars or should I talk about, okay, I'm going to go with this one. So Emily and I are on another podcast and the other podcast is a Disney pod, uh, Disney podcast is called Main Street UCI. And the thing is we talk about just pop culture and we talk about Disney a lot. So I am this I'm going to talk about the strangest experience that you can have at a Disney park. Okay. Okay. <laughs> is if you go to Disneyland. This is a little known secret. So if you're already in California and you're going to go to Disneyland, there is a riverboat, steamboat that mm-hmm. has paddles that goes around. Um, they have a river that goes around. It's called the Mark Twain Riverboat. And you can get onto the Mark Twain Riverboat. It's really super cool. It's steam powered. It's three floors. It, it does actually go around on a track. Um, and during at night, they actually have shows on it. But that's not the special part. Anyone could go mm-hmm. onto that. What you want to do is that they kind of like have casts off every half an hour or something like that. You want to let a whole boat of people get on and sail off without you and then you immediately walk into the line because it's like it's more like a it's a queue okay Mm -hmm. and you ask the cast member who's standing there it's like is there anyone um who's reserved the captain's area and they go it's like can i sit in the captain's room or whatever and they'll either tell you yes or they tell you no what people don't know is that if you ask them and they're, uh, you can actually get up into the captain's area and hang out with the captain. Ooh. Yeah. So the thing is that, so what they'll do is like, oh, no, no, no one's reserved the next captain's cabin or whatever. So the thing is right before they'll say, could you stand off to the right or stand off to the left? And Right before, so then all of a sudden you wait another 15 minutes and a whole crowd of people shows up in the waiting area. And then the guy will find you. It's like, okay, come on. And before they board the main group, they'll grab you and two of your best friends. So only three people can go up there at the same time. And they'll walk you onto the empty boat. (laughs) The three of us, exactly. They'll walk you onto the empty boat all the way up to... Well, actually, I'm sorry. It's two floors, but the third floor is the captain's cabin, all the way up to the top, and you'll you can hang out in the captain's cabin. And while you're there, they got that big steering what's that steering wheel, right? Is mm-hmm. it the same thing? Yeah. So it's got a big steering wheel, 
and the captain will greet you and he'll talk to you and stuff like that. But you know, like when you're going around, he'll like, he'll give you some instructions on things to do. So you can steer the boat. You're not really steering the boat, but if you have a kid with you, it's really fun because they love spinning the wheel. Um, there's a little box that they can stand on so they can turn the <laughs> wheel, but there's also a bell to ring and there's the like whistle. Mm-hmm. So at a certain time of the ride, he'll say, okay, pull on the rope, pull on the rope, pull on the rope. And you can ring the bell for the whole, <laughs> for the whole boat. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing you pull the, the, the a steam whistle. And it's, so it's another experience because you're much higher than everyone else. You're in this little private cabin and that is totally worth it. If you're already in Disneyland. Oh yeah. I Good call. To do Good that. call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another secret, I don't think you can do this anymore, but on the train, there used to be a caboose. Well, there, there's oh, a caboose. Yes. And at, I don't know if they've allowed people doing this again, but you can request to hang out and kind of like the same thing, have a special ride in the caboose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if they allow that anymore, but um, yeah, I think what I had heard was um, there used to be a guidebook there. I mean, like a sign-in book, and it was like filled with famous people's names and whatever, so whatever. Cool. Um, someone stole it recently. <gasps> no. So this like this fifty-year-old guidebook that was sitting on the train for fifty years. Someone stole the book with all these people's signatures. That's why we can't have nice things. Exactly. That's exactly. why we can't have nice kid things, people. Yeah. yeah. So that's my Disneyland secret. So top that one. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. The penis yeah, museum was already already topped it. <laughs> I'll jump in if you want. And that would be mine is Bigfoot. Um, Bigfoot, Harry Trout. <laughs> Um, and the Dover, the Dover demon, um, because, and I'm talking about the international cryptozoology museum. Now this has been mentioned in a previous podcast. Um, but because that was a a blur thing of a whole bunch of stuff to see in new England, I'm ready to dive deeper into the cryptozoology museum. So, uh, it is in Portland, Maine. If you missed that episode, uh, and cryptozoology, it really is. It's the, it's the study of, all sorts of different random things. Um, so it comes from the Greek, which basically says cryptos meaning hidden, zoe meaning animal, logia is the study of hidden animals. So yeah, the study of hidden animals. It's it's a hoot. So yeah, if you love all things alien or Bigfoot or like I said, the the Dover the Dover demon. You could find all sorts of, they've got images of baby Bigfoot. They even have Santa Claus's family tree. Oh my God. Family I tree of Santa Claus. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it is, it's great. It's multiple levels. Uh, it's, it's so cool. And now, and it's not a huge museum, you know, but it makes there some interesting pictures and great conversations with family and friends. Uh, and it's just you know, after you're done walking around, you know, the, the wharf district, you grab some lunch. I, I just highly recommend kind of going in there. They've got a lots of big feet, casts of big feet, <laughs> big foot, foot. I don't know how to call it. Um, but yeah, but the furry trout, yeah, the furry trout is kind of funny. 
That sounds awesome. I've already noted that down for the next time I'm in the area. (laughs) Uh, That sounds so fun. Okay. I'm going to take us, I guess, out of... I'm going to take us outdoors. (laughs) And um, so if you haven't heard of Antelope Canyon, it is a slot canyon in the Navajo land of Page, Arizona. Super beautiful. Um, So most people, when they hear or go to Antelope Canyon, they'll actually go through the Navajo land and book a tour with the Navajo uh, tour guide. And they'll take, they'll drive you in one of those open air jeeps and like down the slot and then you get to walk through the slot canyon take all the photos really cool so of course i wanted to do it but when i went to the area it was covid time so navajo land was completely closed to visitors so i was thinking there's no way like this it's just a we can't go we have to go next time when it's open and when we can book a tour but we did some digging and found out that there's a different way that you can access the canyon um, on your own, not through tours. So what the tours do, they drive you to the top of the canyon and you kind of like walk from the top towards the lower end and then you walk back up. What we did when we went is we actually rented kayaks and we took kind of like the bottom up way. So we took kayaks through, I think the send off point was around Havasu. And we went to like the little, towards the little tributaries, I guess, the waterways uh, and kayaked through to the bottom waterway entrance of the slot canyon, hiked in, and then we kind of hiked up up towards the top where where most people would come down and that was beautiful because it's I mean I feel like it's getting more and more popular now because people are telling other people that you still can access the slot canyons on your own Um, but at the time it was kind of like a hidden gem so it was kind of untouched not too many people knew about it Um, and you got to do it kind of for free I mean you still have to rent kayaks but you can you get to take your time going through the slot canyon spend as long as you want there or as short as you want there um which is amazing because I've heard if you take those Navajo tours down it's super rushed like they're trying to pack in like 20 people a tour into like an hour and then you get like a couple seconds here a couple seconds there to take photos and then they're kind of like rushing you through it versus if you go on your own, you get to take as long as you want, take the whole day if you want. Uh, but just remember that you do have to hike back out and kayak <laughs> back to the place, which was a little tiring because it's like almost uh, a mile of kayaking before you get there. So it's a really good workout, <laughs> um, but that's kind of like a little hack, little hidden gem access to that slot canyon i love that because i feel like that's just such a an authentic way to to reach the area and like you said you get to enjoy it on your own time that is brilliant that is brilliant it was amazing but also a workout (laughs) i'm like not good at kayaking i i um i paddle too hard i think on my right side so we were like constantly drifting (laughs) to the right what kind of (laughs) 
Oh, what wait, did you co- have a double one? <clears throat> yeah, I had a double one. So I was oh. me and my boyfriend, and then our other friends like were sharing their kayaks. And so we're constantly drifting to one side or the other. Um, I think you can also take like paddle boards out there, um, but it's a no motor uh, waterway. So people who are like in their little boats, um, not houseboats, but like, you know, casual leisure boats, I guess they had to turn off their mm-hmm. motors to get through. Um, and it kind of gets pretty narrow towards the, the place where you hike in. So I think mm-hmm. the people who are on boats were kind of just enjoying, they weren't actually going to hike in. Um, so it is, I mean, consider your options. There's kayaking, there's paddle boarding, there's, I guess maybe you can take a boat and then swim in if you wanted to, but yeah, that's one thing. Just remember like what you're getting yourself into because getting out was very tiring because I, I was, it, we, the sun was beating down on us and, um, you know, I, I only paddled really, really well on one side and I kept getting yelled at. <laughs> I heard, well, I you're was stronger than your couple, yeah, boyfriend. I was t- yeah, that's why you're told, going in circles. <laughs> yeah, and I was once told that the secret to a healthy relationship is to never have a tandem anything. Like no tandem bikes, no tandem kayaks, no tandem. Like everybody gets their own, and life is good. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, separate uh, bedrooms. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. They, they that couple had been together like forty years, which clearly I should have paid attention to. <laughs> you know what? Statistically, I was reading an article that said something like. It was it was like in the double digits of Americans that slept in separate bedrooms. Married couples sleeping in separate mm-hmm. bedrooms. Makes sense Just, to me. Because sleep is sleep and love is love is my yes. understanding is what they're saying. You know, so like and I thought that was very, very interesting. So that's what the Queen of England did. <laughs> <clears throat> oh well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They had like their own chambers and everything and they kind of like connect oh this is all based off me watching the crown but um they (laughs) they had different separate bedrooms separate like i guess changing powder rooms i guess but they they connected so if they had their doors open and the queen was in her bed and the king was in his bed they could still see each other but oh, different this is oh, I would totally be down with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like I have no desire to ever get married again. But that would be one of my. I, I'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. You got your space. Snoring, gas, like anybody with gas, all that stuff. <laughs> like that. No, I all mean, the beans and garlic you want. <laughs> yeah, you stay in your room, not a problem. You know, and then you know, early bird versus night owl. Oh, I yeah. mean, that just makes sense to me. Like, I think that should be part of like premarital coaching is just like we highly recommend this because you're going to be really sick of your partner in about a couple of weeks even if you've been living together but once again another <laughs> podcast um you know one thing that i would i i absolutely had no idea existed until i got there um was i was in Colombia a couple of years ago and discovered the salt cathedral mm. uh, which is literally a church that is completely carved into a salt mine, uh, like way, way, way down in the ground. And it is absolutely visually stunning because it's not, number one, it's cool, it's dark, and the, the, the way they've used the salt walls together with the, the lights and the ambiance is, is just a very powerful experience. It was done over a number of years, um, it's 
easy to you can actually take a bus that'll take to get you from Bogota out to the Salt Cathedral, even if you've got remedial Spanish like me. Um, they've got an above area where you can learn about the history of the salt cathedral and the salt mines in the local area. And then you start the descent down and it's, it's a gentle descent down. Um, but as once, as you get used to the cooling temperatures and the, the darkness and kind of the, it never feels like claustrophobic or for me, I never felt claustrophobic it, because it literally opens up almost like what you'd expect at a cathedral in Rome or France or anywhere else like that. Uh, and it's regardless of your faith, it, it just is a powerful visual experience. Cool. All right. And I I'm, told my mom, it counts for church. <laughs> I'm like, I went to church. <laughs> oh my God. Um, this is one that I encountered in Japan. So um, I am Asian. My dad was from mom and dad from, were from Taiwan. And um, my Chinese were Chinese. And the Chinese have a special relationship with kites. Um, kites have been flown. Um, there's recordings of Chinese flying kites as early as the 5th century. And as a kid, I have some very fond memories of flying kites with my dad. And he would bring back kites from China or Taiwan or whatever. And these were these beautiful kites that were made out of bamboo and silk. And they were often in the shapes of dragons. They were in the shape of uh, birds and these things would just, you cannot imagine how high these damn things would fly. Um, my dad took me out to a part, uh, like a, like we went and had a kite flying contest and we won because our kite went up so high in comparison to everyone else's kite. Um, and because of this, when I was in Japan, I found out there's something called a kite museum. Um, if you just Tokyo, there's a kite museum and it is the most, the cutest little it's a small kite museum it can't be more than it can't be more than 2,000 square feet it might be as little as a thousand square feet and it was i think was a gentleman who it was his own personal kite kite um collection and he started showing it off and as a business person he would go all over and he would travel and he would pick up kites when he was on business and he would put them into his museum the greatest thing about this museum is you'll see like a little sign on the side of the building. It's on the second floor, but it gives you no indication of how to get up to the kite museum. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like this mysterious, you know, you need like a you know, knock on a door, like in a Morse code in order for them to open up. Um, it's like a speakeasy. It turns out in the ground floor, it's like a um, restaurant. And my wife and I and my kid, circled the block like three or four times trying to figure out where the entrance was looking at this restaurant to find out that the stairwell to go up to the second floor was in the restaurant <laughs> so you oh. had to go yeah you kind of had to Brilliant cut marketing yeah you kind of had to cut through the restaurant partially mm -hmm. to get into the stairwell go upstairs and then you go into this beautiful 
beautiful little kite museum. It's very small. It's not, it's a couple bucks to get in and it has over 3000 kites of all different shapes and sizes hanging from the sea. It does look like someone's garage, you know, of Mm -hmm. just antiques and stuff like that. But it is something that if you're in the area, it's just really neat to see all these old traditional Asian kites in one place. Um, And they're all hand painted with dragons or geisha or samurai or what have you. And it's just the neatest thing to just to take a look of. So um, that's my suggestion is kite museum, Tokyo. I'm so glad you shared that. I suck at flying kites and I've always admired the folks who get them, who, especially at the beach, um, because they just make it look so fun and effortless. Mm -hmm. Do you know what's interesting is, um, because I have a ton of kites and, um, I don't fly them often, but the thing is like, I would get some kites. It's like, Oh, this is a cool dragon one that you get at. Um, you just go to, like Costco, sometimes they sell them really cheap. And and then, you know, you go to kite stores. And I was talking to the guy. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, what kind of kites are you flying? Oh, we have these types of kites. And he, I go, we never can quite get them up, you know, and it's kind of hard to um, fly. He goes, you know what? There's a bunch of them that are just, they look good, but they're very, very difficult to get up. And you need really strong winds. Try this one. And it's like, and we bought the kite. And dang it, it's about getting the right kite. Mm. You know, it's just about if you get the right kite for the right type of wind that you're going to be in, you just put them up and they won't come down. But if you get the wrong type of kite, that's like lots of times they have manufacturers want showy ones. Mm -hmm. Um, They're hard to get up. Once they're up, if you can get the right type of wind, consistent wind, they look really cool. But they're just not fun to fly because you know they're just not fun to fly but by the beach there's always a good consistent wind Mm -hmm. that's why people always fly them out there anyways just try to find there's some kites you can look them up and like you know they'll they'll tell you that they won't you know they just work very very well with inconsistent low winds and those are the ones that you want to get that's very cool and i like how the entrance is hidden (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like a speakeasy. I mean, it's yeah. so weird. <laughs> Makes it even better. Um. Okay. I have any last one ones? That's or kind yeah. Of oh, like, sorry. I have a yeah. I have one that's like kind of just a funny story, but also it's like a must do. Okay. So in Santorini, Greece, or I guess you could do this at any place that offers catamaran rides but specifically i was in santorini greece it was very hot we had like an okay time and then we ended our trip in santorini with a cat a sunset catamaran uh, boat dinner tour uh, around the island which was the best decision we could have made because it just made all of the mehness of the days before melt away and we were on this boat at sunset beautiful sunset and you actually get to look at the island from the water versus obviously being on the island and looking out to the water and the island is just beautiful so i would say 
like this isn't a hidden thing or anything. Like I'm pretty sure almost everyone who goes to Santorini or Greece or just islands in general will do some sort of catamaran boat cruise. Um, so that itself, that's my recommendation. But my recommendation comes with a funny story. Um, so we booked this tour before we got there. It was one of the only things that we kind of prepared ahead of time. Everything else we did there was kind of just, let's do this today. Um, but this was the one thing that we had planned. And the way that it, we booked it through TripAdvisor, I think. Um, and the TripAdvisor had, or I guess the tour, was doing um, bus pickups from the local hotels. But we were staying in an Airbnb that was outside of the main town. So we had to ride our ATVs into town. Uh, we actually had to return our ATVs that same day, which was a whole adventure on its own. Um, but it took us a little longer to return our ATVs than expected. So we were like, oh, my God, we told them we were going to be at this hotel at this time, but we're not going to be able to be there. So what are we going to do? We're like not going to be able to we're going to miss our tour. And we were freaking out. So we called. Luckily, we had the best Airbnb host. We just called her and told our situation. And she just has connections to everyone on the island, I guess. And she was like, oh, don't worry. My friend um, will come pick you up in the main town and he'll take you down to where the boat takes off. Um, so let me like, where are you guys right now? I'll tell him to go there. So we told her like, oh, we're next to this falafel stand. <laughs> Um, and we're, we're sitting on the steps and it's us as in four Asian people, uh, not very common in Greece. So I was like, I'm pretty sure they could find us. Um, so she was like, okay, stay there. My friend will come in about 15 minutes. He's driving, um, like a silver Honda, something like that. Right. Gives us a, uh, and he's a man. So we're like, okay, cool. So we're sitting there waiting um, you know, just, just waiting, looking out for this silver Honda. And then 15 minutes comes and we're like, hmm, where is this man? And a couple seconds after we're like kind of wondering like, how legit is this woman? Um, this black Jeep pulls up and this man rolls down his window, looks straight at us and like waves at us to come into the car. <laughs> so none of us we were just like, okay, let's get in the car. <laughs> None of us thought to like confirm if this was the man that the lady sent. We just all, got all in of the that car. stuff that we learned in the eighties and nineties about jumping into cars with strangers. <laughs> yep. Disregard all of that. <laughs> we just got in the car with this man, this very well dressed, like um, like button up dress shirt, slacks. He's got like an Apple Watch. He's got like his airpod in with his iphone like ac blasting like this man is doing very well for himself whatever he does because it is so hot at that time and like you don't see people all dressed up in like business clothes <laughs> at mm -hmm. on the island so we're like this is very suspicious but he is a man and he did pick us up in a car mm -hmm. and he knew we were at the falafel stand mm -hmm. so <laughs> <laughs> So we all sat, got in the car, sat there very silently. Um, and I mean, he seemed 
to know where he was going. And luckily, my friend who sat in the front, she saw it was funny there. He had a list of names or not names, but like just like a list. And he was kind of crossing them off. And then the next um, item to be crossed off was like catamaran. So she she noticed that she turned to us and told us that just to confirm. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. But before that, the entire ride, we thought this man is like a spy. He's got to be like a spy. Like, <laughs> There's full air conditioning. He's driving a Jeep. Like he's wearing an Apple watch. He's so well dressed. Who, what are we doing? <laughs> Uh, which is much better like uh, spy is better than serial killer like i want to jump in we a car spy. i don't want to jump in a car with a serial killer yeah we were very optimistic uh but the guy he was great he let us off where we were supposed to be let off and we gave him money paid him and all was good we went on the catamaran boat we had food enjoyed the sunset they played music it was great <laughs> but that was just so funny Oh, that is awesome. Okay, my last one will be super quick. Um, and it is t- a reminder that when you're you know, traveling anywhere to look around, because I noticed when I was in Cartagena, Colombia, door knockers were such an interesting thing. And, and, and I kept seeing these same themes over and over again. I finally asked someone and the door, it turns out that the door knockers, and I don't know if this is just Cartagena, I'm sure it's in other places, other old places, um, the door knocker represented what the owner of the house, what community they were in or what trade they were in. So if there was a fish, they were a sea merchant. Um, if there was a lion, they were in, in the army or the militia or some sort of protector of the city. Um, the clergy, they had like some sort of, you know, hands praying or things like that. Uh, and then lizards, lizards were high society. So, and, and, and once I learned that, I started paying attention more to doors and door knockers. And it was just a super fun thing that I wish, I wish I had seen in a guidebook, but I'm glad that I kind of discovered it on my own. Uh, and it, it makes me mindful of more, more frequently now when I travel. Cool. That's really cool. Lizards. I wonder why they chose lizards. I, maybe because it was an, I don't know, number one, they're plentiful. Maybe it's, it, <laughs> that's like, you know, they're every, but I don't know. Or maybe the rapper, that lizard is rare. Mm. Who knows? But it was fun. Cool. Who knows? Mm. All right. I'll throw okay. out one last thing. And Ooh. is now this is just kind of an oddball thing. I have a very good friend who lives in Laguna Beach, California. Um, if you're not familiar with this, it's a coastal city in Orange County, California, between San Diego and Los Angeles. And it's known as kind of a beach city to go visit as well as kind of an art city as well. So a lot of local artists, there's a sawdust festival where local artists show off their wares. But because it is, um, and also there's something called Pageant of the Masters, um, which is another episode. Um, But what makes it interesting is there's lots of artists who live there. And um, being a beach city um, and not one of those places with housing associations, um, artists like to make their homes um, artistic. And what they do is if you go around, you'll notice that a lot of them make custom decorated art mailboxes. Mm-hmm. So my friend goes out and takes photographs of all these beautiful mailboxes 
so <laughs> if you're Laguna Beach um, and you want some amazing photographs just to kind of show off or make a montage for your for your own home i suggest walk up and down some of the residential streets and take some pictures of the mailboxes and make like uh you know just make a triptych of them or something like that Mm -hmm. and you'll have some really nice artwork for your home good suggestion that's really cool and you inspired me with the door knockers by the way lee (laughs) that's that's where that one came from so my nice knockers inspired you. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> oh, it's and so with that, <laughs> and with that. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we ended on a great note. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into our oddball things uh worth seeking out and we hope that you guys had as much fun as we did let us know what you think on our social media channels where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world interesting articles and more and if you're newer to our podcast we you really should check out some of our older ones cuba london and of course france just to name a few mia's appearance is the university of california irvine Division of Continuing Education Production. If you need a career boost, looking to increase your workplace knowledge, or seeking a new profession, check them out at ce.uci.edu for their professional courses. And once again, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>